You're tuning in to the Black Hollywood Live Network, featuring news, interviews, and commentary on all things Black Hollywood. Hollywood redefined. From Los Angeles, California, presented by Maria Menounos and streaming live thanks to Akamai Technologies. This is Black Hollywood Live. Next, featuring intimate and in-depth interviews with Black Hollywood's next edition of stars and influencers. Black Hollywood Live. Hollywood redefined. You're listening to Black Hollywood Live. And now, the host for Black Hollywood Live, next. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Welcome to. Oh, see, there you go. Started from the bottom, and, and now, now we're here. here. Welcome to another exciting edition of Black Hollywood Live. Next, I'm your host Nick Produce, sitting along my beautiful co-host. Boom! It's me, Megan Thomas. And who do we have uh, in studio? Golden Globe Award winner. Right? Two-time NAACP nominee. This guy creating shows. Some of your favorite shows that you've seen on TV. This guy has been the man behind the pen. Mr. Prentice Penny. How you doing? I'm good. I'm good. I'm good. Happy to be here, man. You gotta say that with some power. Prentice Penny! (laughs) Turn up. Turn up. Turn up. (laughs) You got one of those names. You can't just be like Prentice. You got like Prentice. It sucked growing up though, because like, yeah. cause you want to go to Disneyland and like get your like your license plate name, <laughs> and it's like there's no Prentice. You know I mean? so, no. like, but as a writer, it's worked out all right. Though. Right, right. As long as it's right on the checks, right? It's right on the check. Right, That's right on the check. You can have them make a license plate. Man, I don't care what they call me. As long as the checks play, right, man. Right. So you know, you're LA native. Absolutely, you know, man. It's good. It's Born good and seeing another Not one. that many of us, man. No, seven of us. It's like it's like seven. <laughs> is it seven now? Is it it's, seven? It's, it's, it's about seven. <laughs> it's about yeah. seven. Yeah. It's about what, what part of LA? Because when I ask that, people say, oh, you know, all over. Like where? Uh, Baldwin Hills. I grew up in like Baldwin ah, Hills. Okay. In the Don. I said, where's the rich, bougie black stop people? It, stop it! Stop okay. it! Stop 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 it! Slightly, slightly. Open. I would say like middle, like Cosby was like close to like okay. my mom was a lawyer, my dad sold real estate. It was like you know, okay. it wasn't you know it wasn't baller, but it wasn't like I was wondering when it's like if the lights was on at night, you know. Right, but right. it was so you, know. you definitely didn't start from the bottom. I, I started like you know middle ish, middle ish. Started from the middle. Started from them halfway. Started, started from the bread. Now we right, right. <laughs> <laughs> so let me let me ask you. So growing up in in L A. because uh-huh. you, you, it was the 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 eighties, right? When yeah, you, absolutely. Yeah. And uh, you know L A. was was a crime scene mm-hmm. uh, in the eighties. So what was it like growing up then? You know, with all this craziness going on. Well, it was like, I remember when, like, gang violence became, like, a thing. Mm. You know what I mean? Where, like, before it was, like, those are, like, the kids over there. Right. And then I remember I wanted to have, like, fat shoelaces as a kid, like, as a breakdancer. My mom was like, no, 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 gangsters <laughs> wear fat shoelaces. I was like, no, they don't. They just, <laughs> I just want to breakdance on my right. cardboard. You know what I mean? <laughs> but I, I grew up very differently. Like, my dad was very, like, Black Panther-y mm. okay. growing up, and my mom was very, like, you know, if white kids are doing it, you're doing it. Okay. So when they divorced, needless to say, uh, <laughs> They had an agreement, which was my dad was like, he got to know that exists in the hood. And my mom was like, he got to know how to be around white kids. So they had an agreement, which was if I went to school with black kids, I had to go play sports and summer camp with white kids. Okay. And if I went to school with white kids, I had to play sports in the hood with black kids. And so every summer was I was always like out of the loop. So like in the school year, I was listening to like run because I went to a black elementary school. So I was mm. listening to like Run DMC and Curtis Blow. But when I got to, to the white summer camp, 
they were listening to like Duran Duran. I didn't know any of that stuff. Right. So I had to like abandon hip hop and learn like Cindy Lauper and Eurythmics. Mm. But right. then by the time I got back to school, I was behind on my hip hop game. So then I was like, nobody was listening to like Duran Duran and Hall and Oates right. <laughs> at my right. school. You know what I mean? So I was never like enough. I was never like in the right group at the, so consequently though, in a good way, I learned like everything. Right. But as a kid, you're like, I was never like enough in the group at the right time. You right. Know? Plus, my name again was Prentice, and so it was like <laughs> I just wanted to be John. Something simple, like just grow up on like in the jungle. Yeah, you know right. right. Like, but I, that wasn't how I grew up. Right. So, how did that shape you as a writer director? Well, definitely shaped me a lot of ways. Like my parents, again, my parents divorced. My dad had moved back to Iowa to like sort of like regroup his life mm-hmm. after the divorce. So I spent a lot of time with my grandparents who were like too old to like go outside and play with me. Mm-hmm. So I spent a lot of time, <laughs> this is the sad version, like watching a lot of TV. So I, so I kind of grew up like watching like different strokes and like right. facts. So like I just grew up on TV. Like mm-hmm. I spent a lot of time in front of TV and I was like, it just was like around and I like to create and make up stuff. Mm. And uh, again, as a kid, it was like I liked sort of everything. You know, right. I wasn't like in one group. So I sort of could coexist in like every place. Mm. And so, again, like creatively, it just sort of shaped who I was and what I was into and and what I like to do, you know. So that's cool. And then I was going to go to school for architecture. And then I realized you got to be good at math and like, like you know, to do that. And I was like, I was like, in like remedial algebra. <laughs> <laughs> that's not gonna make it pop up. Right. It's not, right. yeah. I don't want houses falling down on my watch. <laughs> right. Like, wait a minute. No, 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 I can't build no fake female houses in New Orleans. <laughs> like, watch them crumble. You know what I mean? It's terrible. But you, you also cited that a uh, a fifth grade school uh, field trip, right, was was kind of like the a catalyst that that made you say, okay, let me do this this writing thing. The the fifth grade field trip where you were uh, you were, uh, it was a uh, marine biology oh yeah right? yeah yeah I was in marine biology I was interested in like marine biology and stuff I was like I was like what yeah and uh but I got sick I mm. got sick on my field trip to marine biology but I uh, um and I was like I can't I can't. I can't. <laughs> be I, I can be on the ocean and be in my eyes and get sick. I, I think that will like the gale out of my research. <laughs> but uh, but no, it definitely. I definitely had made like hard choices by that point, which is I think I was like a. I was definitely a weird kid. I was one of those kids where you're like, oh, I want to be a writer, but like mm-hmm. I didn't know anybody that was like Spike Lee was like the only person of color that I was like I knew was like doing movies or you know what I mean. I just mm-hmm. couldn't comprehend that. And my and my parents like they were all like you get. And that, like an accountant job, and you do the, like yeah. you, like you follow the path of like like you know how we all get that speech. And uh, but I was just like I was always different. I was that weird little kid, and so I was like that. I had good hair, but I was that weird. <laughs> that I was that weird. I had that Hawaiian silky. I had that soul glow hair. So I <laughs> but I just always like to. I always like. I knew I was like. I remember watching Porky's. Was weird. I remember watching Porky's, mm. and I recognized early on. I was like, I was never the. I was always in the like the fun, cool group, but I wasn't the stud. Mm. I realized early I was like, I was the nerd. I was like Pee Wee. I was like the funny short guy in the cool group, though. Right. So I realized the because I was. I'm never going to be the guy that girls are like, oh, he's just like the Boris Kojo dude. Mm. But I wasn't like the. I knew who I was very early, and I was okay with like being the short funny guy i was cool with that and so that's sort of what it's not cool when you're in high school and you're like trying to get the girls but i knew this is who i am and i was actually 
okay with that. All you had to do was like, do you see my hair? Do you see these baby hairs? Right, that's how you had to do it. It's natural. It's natural, it's natural. Were your parents mad when you told them you wanted to pursue television and film? Weirdly, like, my my parents were always very supportive. Like, other parents around them were like, you need to get Prentice in line. He clearly does not have a good head on his shoulders. You know what I mean? But I always, like, like, got good grades. And my mom, like, sort of like, like my mom again, like, I was in a group called Jack and Jill, which is like a very middle class, like, black, like, really? thing for your kids and this thing. <laughs> and so, and so all those parents were like, you know, and like, you went to like, you know, Stanford or you went to like, you know, you know, whatever, Howard or whatever you went to, but you had like a, a very stable major. Right. And, uh, and I just was like, I'm not interested in any of that stuff. And my mom was always like pushing the other moms away that had something to say. And, and now she, you know, she says, oh, I got a son with a, you know what right. I mean? Like, she was, <laughs> yeah, like she was in the trenches with me on it. Same with Pop. So I had to say, like, they were always like, you know, go for what you want to do. You know right, what I mean? So, yeah, so they were very supportive. So you went to USC. Yes, yes. And you majored right on. in um, filmic writing. Yeah, I was in the film school there. What, what is filmic writing? It's basically a fancy word for the uh, screenwriting program of their film school. Oh, okay. Because when I saw that, I was like, oh, they misspelled film. <laughs> oh, it's a real word. My bad. Oh, oh my bad. Oh, I don't, I don't know that. That's an SAT word. Right. <laughs> right, right. So when you graduated, what were your expectations about, you know, being in this new field? It was weird. It was like I was the only black guy in films in my class. Like there were other black guys, but not that many of us, obviously. And it was right when John Singleton had just graduated because he went to the same program right. I was in. So I got to school and everybody is like, you're going to be the next John. Now, I mind you, Boy in the Hood had either had just come out or was about to come out. So mm-hmm. I didn't know who the hell John Singleton was. I was like, who's John Singleton? And I realized, okay, who John Singleton is. But everybody kept saying, I was going to be the next John Singleton. And I was like, okay, I'm going to be the next John Singleton. And you're like, oh, I'm not the next John Singleton. Right. And, uh, but it, it was, I was, again, I was like, there was like myself and one other black woman there who was in film school at the time. And um, obviously, it was great to be at a school like that because you learn how to write and you, you know, you make good contacts. But you know, it was at a time where like independent filmmaking had just sort of popped off. So mm-hmm. it was like, and um, and uh, Ed Burns and Robert Rodriguez had just come out with like Brothers McMullen and El Mariachi. Mm-hmm. So it was a big. It was I, I think it was an interesting time because it was a big huge push to go away from like the way like like major movies are made and like now like independent movies were sort of coming in as like a real thing. Like Kevin Smith had just come out with Clerks. Like it was a whole mm. movement sort of going on. So everybody I knew was like, screw this like old Hollywood way to like have to make a movie and like just sort of do it for yourselves, which just sort of informed how we all sort of approach film school. So that was it was a it was a fun time, but it was also like a scary time because you're like, I gotta go out and like now make a movie. <laughs> right. Right. So when you graduated, there was no big flashing lights. There was no three-picture no. deal. No. No million-dollar budget. No. How did you deal with that discouragement? Were you like, you know what? It's just a little setback. It's fine. Or did you have to change the way, change your plans now? Yeah, like, it was a thing where, like, I graduated. I did. I directed a movie. I wrote a movie about a relationship I was in when I was in high school, uh, in college. And uh, I sh- I shot it right after film school because I was like, great, this is going to be my little independent movie. Mm-hmm. It'll hit it big. And we ended up selling it and making a little money off it, but nothing like crazy big, obviously. 
And uh, I was sort of like, just sort of scrapping. I was doing like internet, like like the internet, like web animation stuff was kind of coming out. So I was like working for Peanuts, doing like writing animation web shorts or doing mm. sort of whatever I could do to sort of like scrap and make some money. And it was hard. I mean, it's hard. Like you're like watching like other people and you're just like, when's my time? And when am I going to get a shot? And I, again, I was sort of raised on TV. And, the, and sort of the scary thing was, you know, I knew that, I was, I guess I knew inevitably I wanted to write for TV, but I was afraid. And I, I think I was afraid because I knew in TV, you had to write in a room with other writers. Right. And my fear was like, what if the thing I'm pursuing for so long, I'm not good at, mm-hmm. and I'm around other people who are good at it and I'm not good enough. Mm-hmm. So I kind of put off trying to pursue TV for a while. I was like, I'm going to write movies. Movies are more sexy. I don't have, but I knew writing a movie, I didn't have to like be around other, I could sort of like be in a cocoon a little bit Mm. and it's not knocking anything like that. But I knew inevitably I love TV. I wanted to write for TV, but I was afraid to like put myself out there. So I just sort of like hid behind, I'm going to write movies and I'm going to do the other things, even though I sort of knew I love TV and I grew up on TV and I really want to do that. I was just afraid. Like I was afraid to sort of like put it out there. So how'd you get over that? My wife, my wife got me over that. Uh, <laughs> uh, I met my wife in high school, even though I went to different high schools, but she was watching all of, I met my, I was with my wife, like my wife lived in DC. She went to law school in DC and she moved back out here for me. And, she, and, oh, no, <laughs> and she was watching all of my friends like meet girlfriends, break up with those girlfriends, meet new girlfriends, mm. get engaged to those girlfriends, get married to those girlfriends. And she was still a girlfriend. And she was like, I'm watching all of them. Have, <laughs> and I'm just still here on the side. Like, So she was like, look, either we're going to pursue this a hundred percent. And I was afraid. Like I was like, her dad was like a guy that like worked like as a Marine. And he was like a, like an HR exec. For, like, so I was like, here I am, this writer guy. I ain't got no job. I'm like mm. substitute teaching. And I can't ask his daughter, I can't ask for his daughter's hand in marriage and I don't have my life together. So I was like, as like most men, I was like, I'll get my career together first. And then I'll ask you, I was like, that was my thing. And she said, well, why can't we succeed together? I never thought about like sharing my dream with her. I never, that never entered my mind. I was Mm -hmm. like, I got to pursue my dream. It's my dream. I can't, I don't know how to share it with anybody. I don't know if anybody, I was afraid if I get married, then I'll be like, I got to get a real job now. And I got to like provide. And she was like, nah, we all in on this. And right. when she said that, I was like, why didn't you say that four years ago? You could have been, you could have been wiped up. Right. And, <laughs> and uh, when she said that, it was very freeing. And then like we got married and I got my job the very next year and my first job. And right. so she, so she really helped me get over that. Moral of the story, men get married. Get your, get your, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you like, you like how I pull that out. Right. This got a real man platform all of a sudden. This was a real agenda. Right. That is not the moral of the story. <laughs> you know what? You take what you want to take out of that. So Curtis, you were talking about your first uh, short film and yes. it, it's called You Say T- Tomato, right? Yeah. It's actually a feature. It was actually a feature movie. Yeah. Oh, a feature movie. Yeah. Tell us about that. It was about a relationship I was in and uh, it was very much like a when Harry met Sally kind of a story mm. uh, about a couple that meets sort of in college and sort of like the steps of a relationship. Like you meet, you sort of go through this sort of like honeymoon phase and then like you sort of go through like when that cools off sort of what happens next and you kind of move in together and then sort of like all the phases, you know, like when you break up and how you sort of deal with that. So it was really about like all the phases you kind of go through in a relationship. Like a couple's being asked in the in the present about their past relationship and then they each have different accounts so it was about how he saw this various phase of their relationship how she saw it and then you see sort of like what the truth is and then that was sort of the like okay. through line of it yeah i want to watch it it's out there somewhere 
I'm sure, if you Amazon, I'm sure if you Amazon Prime, it's probably for like a dollar. Boom. Got it. Done. <laughs> Sold. Sold. <laughs> as it, you, uh, you continued to write scripts at, at night, yes. right? While you worked as a substitute teacher Absolutely. during the uh, the day, yes. And and so, what do you say to people, uh, you know, who want to pursue their their dream? You know, and, and again, it's not it's essentially sharing it with your significant mm-hmm. other. Let's say, like, if if they're if they're single, sure, right. So, what would you say to people who you know think, okay, maybe this isn't gonna work for me, and I should just go back to that regular life Job. as opposed to you know right. do what I really want to do? I mean, it's like. You know, people ask that question all the time, and I always say, you just got to take a swing, you know? Mm-hmm. Like, it's one of those where it's like, I can't guarantee, like, nobody can guarantee your level of success or where you're going to be. And if you're going to need to know, like, definitively, it's like any husband and wife that's sitting there at the altar. They can't definitively say, we're going to be here 50 years from now. It's mm-hmm. like, all you can do is just make sure you're there for the years. I mean, that's really the only thing way to get right. there. So that like, there's no shortcut to getting there. You just have to get there. So it's like, if you're looking for a guarantee, can I guarantee I'm going to have success as this? Nope. You can't, you can't at all. Right. All you can do is say, I'm going to die trying. Like how committed are you to dying trying? Like, that's really what it comes down to. How committed are you to just saying it's this or bust? And I don't know if anybody's level, that's just for you to decide for yourself to say, you know, I knew for me, I don't have a fallback. I don't want to fall back. I don't want to do anything. So that was my level of commitment was mm. I don't want to do anything else. If I, I remember I got my first job on Girlfriends and I was like a, like a writer's trainee, which is like a writer's intern kind of a thing. But I got to pitch jokes and pitch stuff and I was making $600 a week. So I was making 2400 a month and mm. I was at a sub. I was making 1800 a month, but I hated what I was doing. So it's not, I wasn't making dramatically more, but I was making $600 more. And I told my wife, I was like, if I only made, $2,400 a month for the rest of my life doing this every day, I'll do it. I was right. like, I don't even, I was like, right. I, this is great. I was like, this, I don't even, not now I wouldn't do that. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, but then I was like, this is it. Like, that was like that feeling of like, I'm doing what I love and I'm just making enough money to like pay my bills and like right. live. Mm. Like, I remember my cousin told me one time, and I used to think he was crazy. He was like the best. He was like, if you want to be a plumber, you got to hang with plumbers. Mm. If you want to do this, you got to hang with that. And and I didn't get it quite then at the time. I was like, what are you talking about? And he was right. Like, if you want to be a writer, if you want to be a comedian, you know, you want to be whatever, you got to associate and put yourself in that space and just go all in. Otherwise, mm. you know. It's on you. I think right. everybody's level of commitment is on them. Right. Like whatever they want to do, you know. If you and I think you have to recognize what your greatest skill strength is. If you say, "Hey, I'm a writer or I'm a this and my skill strength is story versus like blank." Mm. Then get better at blank and then keep improving. You know what I mean? Like yeah. you have to sort of know what your weaknesses are. You have to be honest with yourself about like it's always funny when I see American Idol and I'm like why would their parents put them out here and they know they can't sing? Like, they know they can't sing. Like, right. why? Like, why are you encouraging this? Cr- or if you're going to encourage it, then encourage voice lessons and instrumentation. Le- you know what I mean? Like, you're going to, like, get them better. But don't just be out there like, my, you know, like, my baby can sing. Like, you know, like, little Magic can sing and she mm-hmm. can't sing. Well, ma- why she got to be Magic, though? Well, it's like, in, in Living <laughs> Color, I'm dating myself on Living <laughs> Color. <laughs> How to be Magic. Okay, so you... Wrote, directed, and produced uh, one of your first major projects, which mm-hmm. is Soul Talking. I watched the video for that, the trailer for it. Uh huh. That is a really cute movie. Yes, that's you say tomato. That's actually the oh, same that's the movie. Same thing? It's the same movie. So that, why did that two names? They changed the like the uh, 
the company mm. thought a more urban title. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, guys, what's soul talk? I was like, I don't even know what soul talking is. Right. Like, what is That's that? What is what does yeah. that mean? Like, and they were just like, we just feel like it'll sell in Walmart better. We were just like, <laughs> all right. No, All so that's, right. that was actually the same movie. Ah, okay. Very interesting. Yeah. So you, you were talking about you received your first big break writing as yes. a writer's trainee for Girlfriends. Mm-hmm. How did that happen? My wife met a friend of, a friend of, like, who's a friend of mine now named Karen Gist, who's a, an amazing writer on, uh, she wrote on House of Lies and One Tree Hill, and she's on Revenge right now. Um, and she just, they just have a pilot at VH1, the drumline redo that they're gonna mm. do at, at VH1. And, uh, they met, uh, like, my wife went to Spelman, Karen went to Spelman, and they met, like, at this, like, alumni picnic here in LA. Mm. Um, and my wife was like, oh, oh, my boyfriend writes. And that was a moment. And I'm so grateful to Karen because I know when people come up to me and say, <laughs> oh, I write. I do this. My first thought is like, oh, God, no, just just <laughs> can I just eat some ribs and like just kick it? <laughs> but like, I'm like, oh, no, no, no. And so Karen at that point was so kind that she was like, well, give him my number because Karen was an attorney and she just quit being an attorney and she became basically a writer's trainee on girlfriends. And this was like 2001 and Karen was like, look, I don't really know that much, but whatever I know, I'm going to share it with you. And so she was a writer's trainee on girlfriend that got hired as a full-time writer. And then she eventually worked her way up. And, uh, and she said, look, whenever they do the program again, I'll let you know. And I was like, cool. And so I just sort of stay in touch with Karen throughout the time. I would, I'd be working on like Will and Grace specs or just shoot me specs. And I'd written a scrub spec and I sent that to Karen to say, Hey, this is sort of, and she was like, this is a really good spec and I'll give it to my bosses who was, who was Mara Brockakil who runs the game mm. and, uh, and girlfriends obviously. And, uh, and Mara read it and was like, he's good. And so they brought me in for an interview to interview for the trainee position. And then that's how I got the trainee position, but the trainee position it was, like this was before all the studios had like diversity hires where now they sort of have to hire mm. or have somebody on staff. So this was a position back in the day where you had to call. It was through the Writers Guild. You had to call shows and say, hey, are you interested in like doing a writer's like minority program? Now, mm. most shows are not interested <laughs> right. in doing a minority program. And usually it was just the black shows. But mm. Mara was a, a writer's trainee hire on Moesha. So she uh, understood the power of the program. So she was a big advocate of it. And so um, and so they basically hired me as a, as a trainee. And you, you worked for like 20 weeks. And if they liked you in the 20 weeks, they could say, hey, here's a script. And if we like your script, then we'll hire you as a full-time writer. Or after 20 weeks, thank you, goodbye. Mm. And you don't work out. Um, and so she liked what I had to sort of offer. And she gave me a script. And, uh, she was like, if you, you know, if you do a good job on this, we'll see about hiring you. So I remember I had just written the draft of my script from my, and I was showing it to my wife cause I would let her read stuff. And I was like, what do you think of this? And she was like, oh, it's, she's like, it's really good. It's really good. I said, cool. Because if they, if they like it, they'll give me a job. She's like, well, technically I have notes on page two <laughs> and uh, we should talk about the opening. <laughs> like, she got all serious all of a sudden. So right. I was like, but they liked the script and they hired me as a staff writer. And that was my first, like big job i went yeah i went from you know like the like the jump was like you're like making like 2400 a month and now you're making 2400 a week i mean it's like right. you're just like i was like i just again you're just like this is crazy, crazy. <laughs> yeah, right. yeah. yeah. <laughs> this is crazy so then you know when you went through that what was a pro- excuse me what was the experience like to work on such a great show at the time girlfriends i always say it's like 
it was so amazing. Like Mara was amazing. And I would say it was like going to Hillman on like a different world. It was mm-hmm. like, right. it was a place where like, I can't imagine a better like training ground, especially as like a young African-American writer, because obviously you have a, an African-American woman who's like, who's running a show and is committed to helping us mm-hmm. succeed in this business, you know, which is obviously very hard. And she was just, everybody there, there was no like agendas of like, Oh, this person sort of hates this. Everybody was like, we were in the same boat because we're all trying to keep the show on the air. So everybody is like, it was, it was a safe place to pitch. Like you didn't feel like if you're like, look, like most writers rooms, like you, like everybody pitches jokes and maybe like four of your 10 jokes work. So Mm -hmm. six of your jokes fail. I mean, it's just like part of the thing, you know, but you never are made to feel bad. Like in girlfriends, we never felt bad that we would pitch stuff and it didn't like, you were just like, it was safe. Everything felt like, Failure felt safe. Mm. Success felt like it was all, it just felt like a family. And that's the best way I could describe it. It felt like a family. And I had, like, Karen was great. This uh, woman named Regina Hicks was great, who's been working forever. And she's awesome. And just everybody there was just incredibly generous. And I, like, that was, like, my favorite. Of all the shows I've been on, it still is, like, a special, a special thing for me. You know what I mean? That's good. So at the end of it, uh, I think the last four seasons, you were the executive story editor, right? Yes, yes. What, I, what is that? It's just like levels of pay. So it's ah. like in, in the way that you equate like somebody who's like the president of the company versus like all the vice presidents and then like the director of market. It's just like levels of pay. So mm-hmm. and then but, you know, but with that comes more responsibility and things like that. But more so all those titles are just like levels of pay and like where you fall like in the totem pole mm-hmm. so i started literally like literally started from the bottom like the like <laughs> like lower than the bottom right and then i worked more to like the mid middle like lower middle mm-hmm. <laughs> but i mean as long as the checks of kept, kept hey, going man, up, yeah, man, it was no post-dated checks so because <laughs> like what's what's crazy is that even like at the bottom is still better than what right. a lot of people bo- are are doing. Bro, the bottom is two grand a week. Right, net. right. Yeah, there's no, but there's no bottom. Right. <laughs> no bottom. Like, you didn't no. have to no. wait or, or no. bartend anywhere. No, That's no. Awesome. I remember, I remember, I was, uh, I remember after the first season was up. And you was like, Girlfriends was a safe bet for us to come back. And obviously, mm-hmm. I didn't, I assumed I was coming back, but I didn't know. I'd hoped I would come back for the, for my, for my first full season again as a writer. Season, I started season five, so this was going into season six. And I remember I told my wife, I was like, I'm turning in my, I was like, I didn't want any more safety nets. I was like, I'm done. I was like, this mm-hmm. is it. This is what I'm committing to. Like, mm-hmm. we're all in. And I was like, I'm turning in my, like, retirement papers to the, like, the school district and she was like are you sure you want to do that are you sure we want to do that yeah i was like yes yes we're doing she was like i don't know we should i was like we're turning them in right now and so you know but it's like you know every year it's a gamble with the show i mean that's Mm -hmm. the other side it's a lot of money but there's also like unless you're on like a modern family or Mm -hmm. a big bang i mean it's just like and, and inevitably too it's like this isn't like Apple, where you know Apple's going to be around for the next thousand million, whatever years. You know, mm-hmm. Google's going to be around, IBM's going to be around. It's like it's TV, and inevitably every show gets canceled, no matter how. Cheers, yeah. no matter how, it eventually stops. It has an so end, yeah. yeah, right. So I always equate like TV is like the crack game. You got to like get in, <laughs> get your money, and you got to get because you don't know when it's going right. to. You just right. honestly don't know when like what you're working on is going to dry up. No matter right. how it's. It, like inevitably, the number one show will be off the air. It doesn't Seinfeld. matter. Seinfeld, yeah, you know. But the number one company is going to be around for a long time, so right. it doesn't That's work true. the same way. So it's a lot of money, but I always say it's like athlete money. Like you got a window to like yeah. cash in on it. Otherwise, you missed it and you right. You right. 
You gotta get a real job. <laughs> so you were you were also you were a, a co-producer and a writer uh, on the show Do Not Disturb, which yes. ran for about a season. Yeah, not even though. <laughs> Roughly. Yeah. So what what did you learn from that, you know, working on a show that, that didn't like I said didn't get, you know, right. a full season, you know, coming from a hit TV show that right. ran for what girlfriends ran for what, seven, eight, eight seasons? Yeah. Eight so seasons. coming yeah. from that yeah. So doing this now, then it's like, oh, okay, this is... I will say, it was... I always say that show... Again, look, every show I've been on, anybody that's hired me, you will never hear me say a disparaging word. Yeah. But it, anybody gives me a job, yo, we cool in the fan, bro. You know what I mean? Like, we are cool, right. you know? And uh, the thing about that show, which was great, was... It, obviously, it was tough going from a show where you know every year mm. you're going to be picked up to, like, not sure, like, you only picked up for 13 and you may only get... Cause on Do Not Disturb, I think we did six, and we were mm. done. Like we were, like we started in June, and we were done by first of October. So mm. I had never experienced like being out of work for that long over the last four years. I had been on on girlfriends, but what about that show was so specific was where I would say that was my transition. Was it was the first show I had been on that was a white show, mm. where girlfriends was like it was black cast, it was m- like mostly black writers. Mm. Um, where Do Not Disturb was the first show that I did where it was created by white people, where it was mainly an all, where it was essentially an all white writing room, except for one other Korean writer named Elaine Ko, who's on Modern Family. But it was a, it was my thing of like moving from this world to that world. And mm-hmm. I didn't, I never, I always thought shows were kind of the same, but I always say it was like the Negro Leagues. Like, mm-hmm. I, I realized black shows were the Negro Leagues. Right. And this was the major leagues. Right. And what I mean by that specifically, is that, for example, I had I worked with incredible writers on Girlfriends, right? I think one writer in four years did a pilot, maybe two. Mm. When I went to Do Not Disturb, I was watching writers talk about pilots they had done for years and years. Mm. I watched them talk about, I may not get another overall deal. And an overall deal is essentially when a studio says, I don't know if people know what the overall deal is, but an overall deal is essentially when a studio says, we're going to give you X amount of money mm. over two years, because we believe in you and think you can offer us something down the line. Right. So they may give you, let's say, $800,000 over two years. So you're going to make four hundred grand, you know, you know, with the exception of, like, paying your agents and managers. But, you know, you'll make, like, two hundred fifty grand for two years. You don't have to worry about your income for two years. You're going right. to make five hundred grand for two years. You don't have to worry about it. And they'll develop a show with you, and they'll put you on this show in the meantime. And you're making money for two years. Your checks are coming every week. You don't have to think about it. Where I was, writers, I was watching writers go, I don't know if I want to renew my overall. I may go to this studio. And you're like, they want to give me an overall. They want to give me an overall. And I was like, I was watching. Those conversations never took place on Girlfriends in in that same way. And that's when I realized, oh, this is a different playing field. This is a playing field. It frustrated me because I was like, why don't we get that playing field? Mm -hmm. But we know why we don't get that playing field. And then I recognized I want to be in this playing field because Mm -hmm. this is where. And so that, that, that was sort of I recognized, even though the show wasn't, it didn't pan out in terms of like longevity it was a huge like bridge because Mm -hmm. also what i got to do on that show was i got to meet a lot of white writers who when i got my next job on scrubs Mm -hmm. they could con the people on scrubs could contact the white writers i worked with on do not disturb and say how was prentice Mm -hmm. right whereas they and they knew each other like they would hang out Mm -hmm. whereas nobody from there was hanging out with anybody i worked with on girl like that it was just was a different 
Right. You know yeah. what I mean? It was just yeah. a different playing field. And that's when I realized, oh, this there's a different world out here that I had been seeing for four years. Right. It was like mm-hmm. the Matrix. They opened my eye, I took the red pill. <laughs> you know what's what's crazy is that that really kind of mimics like your uh, childhood growing up. Right. Mm-hmm. That's what I was you thinking. Know. It to- and- it's so funny because like, it totally trained me to be right. like the only black guy. Because yeah. in my summer camp, again, I was like, there in my summer camp, there were three people of color. It was a, an Indian it was a Native American Indian, mm-hmm. and it was me and a Japanese girl. Those were the only people of any color. Everything else was like, because it was right in the valley. It was white. It was also, I was in film school. I was the only mm-hmm. one, you know what I mean? So I got used, I was very used and okay, which is kind of sad in some ways, but I understood it. Was I knew I'm okay with being the only one in the room. I, it doesn't frustrate me or in, in that way. It doesn't, yeah. it doesn't overwhelm me. It doesn't, I'm comfortable. Right. And it, it really it's like funny how life prepares you for things like yeah. that. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And uh so let's let's talk about about uh you know, scrubs. Sure, yeah. sure, sure. You, you got to work with and this is a guy who I uh, met recently, uh Mr. Bill Lawrence, uh-huh. who's had how, an incredible career. Yeah, how'd you meet Bill? I, I went to uh, uh un undateables, you know. Oh, the, okay, the, the, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So I think, cause, like I didn't really know who he, he was and I looked him up and I was like, Oh my god. Yeah. Uh, so Bill yeah. created yeah, Bill created like Spin City when he was like twenty four. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. You know, Spin City, Scrubs, Cougar Town. Yeah. He has like four shows that are on TV right now. Like, he anyway. was on Friends the first season. Yeah, like, like, yeah. He's, yeah. Yeah. Anyway, so working with yes. with that guy and that team of writers, because Scrubs went with nine right. nine seasons, nine. Right? What was that experience like? It was interesting. I got there. It was weird. It went off the air. It had that big, great finale. I don't know if people have seen the finale, but they have an incredible finale where like Zach Braff mm. meets everybody. It's an incredible finale. People haven't seen. It. They should just see it. And the show was done. And then uh, ABC was like, no, let's do one more year. Bill was like, I think we could do one more year. So it was this weird year where they like, I always say our show, our season of Scrubs was like when they brought Oliver into Brady Bunch. It was like, they're Mm. not like, Oliver is not a Brady, but he's in the thing. So season nine is like this sort of amendment to the Scrubs. (laughs) (laughs) And so it was, it was this year that they went to med school. So like Zach Braff and Donald Faison were teachers. Mm. And, uh, but we had like great actors like Dave Franco, who's James Franco's brother, who's like in 21 Jump Street, who's super, he's in, he's in Now You See Me, who's great. Mm. Carrie Bechet, that was in Argo, ended up being an Argo. Go is in that season. Um, uh, Michael Mosley, that was on Pan Am, and he's in this new show, Sirens, on USA. Like he was, so it was like it was this weird year where like they went to med school, but like working with Bill personally was like you're just like, oh, this guy's a genius. Mm-hmm. Like he would come in, we'd have a story bump, and then he could just go, we'll just move this here, this here, that there, this, and you're just like, oh, it's like a beautiful mind. Uh, it was all, <laughs> it was all there in front of us, and we just didn't see it. You know what I mean? And um, it was just, and he was doing both shows at the same time. He's doing Cougar Town. That, oh, wow. uh, like that year, and uh, and we shared an office in Culver City, so it was like Cougar Town was on one side of the office, mm. and Scrubs was on the other side, and then he would just go. I I Frank and he had three kids, and I, I just don't know how he, right. he like I just would like would, like marvel all the time, like oh my god, how is this guy doing it? But and and now he has like three shows on there. It's it's crazy. It's crazy. It's crazy. Right. How did you land that gig over at Scrubs? I landed that gig again. It's like every meeting counts. Everything mm. you do counts. People remember you. And so I had a meeting at ABC and this guy, I had written the script, I had written the spec and this, uh, like a, like my own pilot. It wasn't getting shot. It was just a writing sample. Mm. And this guy was like, I like this guy. And you know, it was just a meeting I just randomly had. And then 
uh, he was like an exec at ABC and I guess Bill Lawrence, and this is again, how you don't know people ask about you. Like you always got to be in your P's and Q's because people ask about you. And um, Bill Lawrence, he was putting together the scrubs staff mm. and he was like, he asked this one exec and the exec just happened to be the guy I met with. Mm. And I sat with Bill Lawrence because he was like, I was, it was about Cougar Town. Mm. He said, actually, I'm not interviewing you for Cougar Town. I'm interviewing you for scrubs. And I was like, what? And he was like, you're actually bringing it back. And I said, he said, I heard about you through this guy named Patrick McGuire. And he said, I asked Patrick every year who are five writers I don't know that I need to know. Because on Scrubs, that writing staff had been together eight. There wasn't no, like a big turnover. Like right. he, Bill likes the same people. He doesn't have to worry about it. It's like most people, like, you want to yeah. have people you trust. And so Scrubs, there was mostly this, the staff was always intact. And he was like, um, he was like, who are five writers I need to know who I don't know? And Patrick said, oh, you got to meet this guy named Prentice. And that's literally how I got the meeting with Bill. And then in the wow. meeting, Bill was like, Okay, I, um, I'll call your agent and you got it. And I was like, all right, <laughs> no, right. like that's literally how. Like you just, you just don't know. I mean, you just yeah. don't. So you always got to be like on your like every meeting. I say I always think every meeting counts. You just because right. you just don't know who's asking about you. Was this the first time you were on a major project? You were a producer. No, I was, a, I was a I was a co-producer on Do Not Disturb. Like that was like okay. that was my big jump. Was going from like to get a producer credit. Was going from. And that's the big jump, too, where you're like your name appears in the front of the show right. as opposed to the back of the show. Because my dad would always go like I remember my first job, like my dad's always real hard on me. He loves me, but he always gives me a hard time. And he was like, I said, I got this job. And he was like, I don't see your name on it. <laughs> and I was like, well, they don't put staff writer on the show. Technically, he was like, so then they put story editor. And mm-hmm. I was like, I'm on the show. He was like, yeah, but you on the end. Right. <laughs> so I was like, now I'm on the front. Leah, now I'm on the front. What you going right. to say about that? I'm on the front. Right. Let me ask you this question really, really, really quick. Did did you do you get multiple checks when you when you are when you have different things or is it all lumped no, into no, no. one? No, no, it's all it's all lumped into like your okay. pay. So it's always like so if you're so if you're a, and you have rates as you continue to like for the most part like if you're an easy way to remember this if you're behind if you're at the end of the show mm-hmm. your rates are preset you ain't got no choice like okay. all your rates are set and for cable it's lower mm-hmm. so as opposed to network when you're in front of the like when you're in front of the show now your rates are more negotiable so okay. all your rates uh, all your rates vary in the front okay. How how is it being a producer and a writer uh, on well, these shows? Well, when you're a producer, essentially, again, those are mostly levels of pay okay. in terms of in terms of most of the responsibilities. But in the other side is like you just have more responsibilities in the show. So mm-hmm. you, as opposed to like when I was a, a staff writer or a story editor. I couldn't run a room. Like, and by running a room, I mean, like, be in charge of, like, what inevitably goes up on the storyboard or what jokes get into the script. Like, mm-hmm. you are sort of, like, you're just sort of pitching, hoping that your ideas get in there. When you're at a, like, you get higher up in the producer rank, you, you start to decide, oh, that's a good pitch. I don't like that one. Mm-hmm. I'll put that one. In. You know what I mean? Like, right. all those things. So you just have more control. Like, you're more of a manager of those, of, like, I think this is a good, oh, that's a good pitch. I'll put that up. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And, and, like, you're more of a filter to what the bosses inevitably see. Gotcha. So as the as the high like executive producer is the highest you'll get, uh, you know, beside co creator of the show. Mm-hmm. And those people are the ones that basically have the final say before the boss says yes, no, this, that, or the other. Wow. Fascinating. These are things I didn't know. Like you hear yeah. about this, but you don't know the specifics right, of how right, it right. works. So in twenty ten, uh, you started working on the critically acclaimed series Happy Ending. Yes, yes, yes. How did you get started on that show? Again, it's like literally this. I like people say it's always who you know, and it right. really is. The thing about Happy Endings was I was on Scrubs, mm. and uh, and one of our 
again, because Bill couldn't do both at the same time, so he had he was more concerned with Cougar Town because that was a new show as opposed to Scrubs, which was sort of already set at least in terms of structure what that show is. So he had two other executive producers run that show as like his as like his number twos, and one of those guys was a guy named Jonathan Groff who had a deal at ABC. And again, this is, again, I'm on a white show, the only person, of, of, like, only black person on the show. And so you, so I, so, you know, you're trying to, you know, work harder than everybody else because you, you know, it's like you are the one, you know what right. I mean? Yeah. And so, um, Jonathan Groff had, had, had liked me and he was overseeing, he was put on the project Happy Endings because Happy Endings was written by a guy named David Casp. And Casp had just show, he, the only thing he had done to that point was sell two movies. But, but like the movies hadn't gotten made yet. And he was essentially like a nut. He never worked in television before. He had no experience. So they usually pair you with somebody that has more experience to sort of help you through it. Mm. Well, Groff just, again, happened to get on that project as a, as a producer. And they were doing punch-ups for the pilot. Like, happened to got, got greenlit to be a pilot. And Groff was having uh, other writers come do punch-ups like before they filmed it. Mm. And he asked myself... And a couple of people like to come to a bunch of punch-ups. And I was going to these punch-ups, just pitching jokes, just trying to help. And I was like, this is great. I'd never been to a punch-up before. I had heard other writers, but I had never been high enough to be asked to do that. Right. And I remember my wife, who was, it's so funny, she was so gung-ho to give me my first job. But now she was like starting to be like, <laughs> and I was going to all these punches. And she was like, well, do you have to go to everyone? I was like, look, he could give me a job. Like I was like, and I didn't know. I was like, he could give me a job one day. I don't know. Right. But I was like, he's asking me, so I'm going to go. Right. And then Happy just got picked up. And then he was like, I want you to come hire me. And I was like, see, boo, see, see. Uh, and then that's how I got my, it, it was literally like, it was really like he hired like four happy endings writers. Wow. And, uh, and that's how I got my first job it was, was purely because Groff knew me from Scrubs and was like, I like what he brings to the table. Let's hire him. I mean, I didn't have to work. I didn't have to go campaign for it. I didn't right. have to go, you know, and that's, that's really how it happened. That's a blessing, man. Yeah. But, but that's how this business works. It's right. like, it's activity. like, you know. Activity. Yeah. 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 So how was that working? How was that different from working on your other projects? It was different. The thing I loved about Happiness was we all felt like we were like this little, like little engine that could. Like, okay. like we all knew we were like working on something. First of all, we all had loved each other working on us. Like, like most of the staff was from Scrubs. Like, mm -hmm. I would say maybe forty percent of us had all worked together already. So we already liked each other. Like, most of the like the getting to know you parts of shows, kind of take in the beginning, which is like, oh, we got to get to know how this part. Like, what do you bring to the table? Versus, like, we all sort of knew at least what forty percent of us brought to the table. We all right. sort of knew already, so we didn't have to like wait to hop in on that. You know what I mean? And David Cows, to his credit was like, look, I've never done this before. I trust you. Like, he was like, he wasn't afraid to say, which was like the opposite of what most people would do. He wasn't afraid to say, I don't know. Like, yeah. that was his, I thought his best move the first year of the show was to say, I don't know, what do you guys think? And now, yeah. like, most people would be like, oh, I think we should, like, without even, like, you know what I mean? Like, having right. to prove that they know, he was okay saying, and that was such a classy and smart, and, and it also taught me, which is, like, what you want to take from any showrunner is, like, what do you learn? Mm -hmm. And I... I learned from him to say, it's okay to say, you don't know. It's okay. You don't have to have all the answers all the time. It's right. okay. And it's actually better because it helps other people say, well, what if it's this? Yeah. And, and open your eyes and say, you know, I never thought about that. That's great. And I think it's something we all need to incorporate in all of our lives, but it was, it's so specific in TV where everybody feels like they have to right. be the smartest person in the thing. And he was okay saying, guys, I'm not. And it was such a, such a great, you know, move by the way, but, um, 
But again, we all sort of felt like we were this family. We all sort of felt like we were this little bitty, like we had no air date when we started. Mm. We knew we were doing 12 episodes. So all we were like is let's do the funniest, best 12 that we can do. And again, we had no idea. We were just like, we think we have something special because, you know, and like we'd watch the edits and go, this is like, are we tripping? Is this just this funny? Right. And then we would go like, ah, oh, this is really, but we just, I mean, you don't, again, you just, like, you're in a bubble. Like, you're kind right. of in a bubble. And so, like, we knew the cast was really good. They bonded really fast. And we were like, we just felt like we were like this little bitty show that could. And mm-hmm. so we just all sort of galvanized around that. And I think that just sort of, like, we all love each other to this day. We all still talk and, you know, we all miss each other, obviously, but we all wish each other well at the yeah. same time. And But it just felt, that felt special and if it reminded me of how I felt when I was on Girlfriends. Like I had mm. I hadn't loved this show like that in a long time and it just felt like we were doing something special. It was also where like I got to like assert my like I got to go do editing. I got to go do cat like I got to go be involved more. Mm. Um and and that was freeing too and and like a a lesson. You know what I mean? Like Bill Lawrence was a big advocate of like no matter what level you are, you're gonna have to inevitably learn how to cast and edit right. and be on set by yourself. And so he was always like, go to set by, like, don't send people higher than you. Like, you're going to see, like, Bill was smart enough to know, I've hired enough talented people on set mm. where it's not going to get screwed up. Right. I have good direct. So even if I send the worst writer possible, it's still going to be okay. I've right. hired good actors, good directors, good camera people. It's going to be fine. Yeah. So he was always like, let, like, let the writer go and do their thing and we sort of carry that over into happy endings and even how we broke stories on happy it was very much how we broke them on scrub so we adopted a lot of that uh and even to how i break stories to this day i i pretty much break them how i broke them between girlfriends and scrubs even personally I, that's how i approach story right. and things like that well you can tell the the success and the rapport that was with you guys because congratulations uh happy endings got two image award nominations yes yes that's amazing how did that feel to finally go you know somebody else recognizes what i do it was funny because happy, again happy Endings was a show where like critically people were like you gotta watch this show but people like the numbers were like not there you know right. and it's so funny too because i feel like even we're two years removed from like being like uh, a hit show like our numbers now are like like people would be begging for those numbers now like right. you know what i mean uh but it was like fans and and critics were like you gotta watch this happy ending show and and uh but it was it was great to be a, it was great to be a part of that and it was it was you know again it was like the end of lcp great cool right <laughs> cool. right right cool we'll take it we'll take we'll, right. like, hey, we'll take anything we'll take it we'll take it so let's let's uh talk quickly about uh your your show that you created yes uh, for for fuse tv which is called the hustle yes you know, starring one of my one of my boys london Who's, brown yes london yeah. brown yeah. London and, and, and we, had, we had a uh uh erica you had erica on the show yeah. Too. yeah erica so. erica how was this project uh, conceived, one, and then why was Fuse, like, the perfect fit for the show? It was conceived, again, you know, I grew up in the 80s, like we were talking about, and I grew up just, obviously, a huge fan of hip-hop. Mm. And I always felt like there was a bunch of magazines, a bunch of whatever for hip-hop, and I always felt like all the TV shows that try to do hip-hop always felt, like, fake. I always mm. felt like they felt, like, real dark and, like, scary, or they felt, like, kind of cartoony. Mm. You know, and I always felt like there was never like the right level of like, like now when you can go to Instagram and you can see like what Rick Ross is doing, it's neither scary nor cartoony. It's just mm. real. Like you're just like following his life. And I felt like, well, what's the, like, what's the Instagram version of the show? Like what's the, just, just like just the reality. And so 
Um, I just went through recently that I felt like my, like I would want to see at home. And that at that point, Entourage was on the air, Mm -hmm. I think like two years at that point. And I was like, it should probably be in this tone. It should just be more, you know, but obviously more gritty, a little bit more real than, you know, Entourage is. Entourage is very, it's, you know, very glitzy and glammy. Um, but I just felt like, why isn't, I was like, we listen to hip hop all the time. It's such a part of our major culture. There's a bunch of magazines, a bunch, I mean, we're every, it's everywhere. Um, but why isn't there like one, as opposed to like all the reality shows where they're somewhat reality, but you know what I mean? And I felt like, well, why isn't there a scripted show like that? And so I just, I literally wrote, I was on Do Not Disturb. Mm -hmm. It tells you how far back I started writing it. And, uh, I, I wrote it and, um, we just sort of like went from there. I just, and you know, like we pitched it around town. I, I wrote it. Um, I went to film school with uh, Tim Story, who directed Barbershop and yeah. stuff like that. And so uh, Tim directed an early version of the pilot mm-hmm. and for Fuse. And we uh, we were going around town. Who should we pitch it to? And also, too, we had Diddy attached for the longest time as an EP. Mm-hmm. We Because we were like, oh, we should probably have like a hip-hop guy validate this show. Right. Just as like a good move for like when you're going through the source you could be on the vibe you could be like or double xl you could be like oh right so and so is a part of this show and so we were like so we made a list and puffy was on top of our list and then we sent it to him we were like okay maybe like ti want to do it or somebody and mm-hmm. puffy called back and was like i want to do it let's do it mm-hmm. and then i remember we went to puffy's house and uh you're just like man what's it? like we were like is it gonna be people like coming through the door dance like, we're like what's <laughs> going to puffy's house he lived like in this am- amazing house gorgeous very understated and he was so chill. He was so quiet. He was so like, like, the, like, like he had a chef. It was like, you, you guys want some salmon? We were like, nah, I'm cool. I'm cool. He's just like, and I was like driving my little old Prius up there. And so he was just like, he would, could not have been nicer and was like, I think the show should be. And we were just talking about the show. And he was like, look, he said, I've, I've been asked to be a part of hip hop stuff. And he was like, I've turned it all down, but this just felt so real and, mm. and so true and so he was like I'll do it and at the end of the day Fuse and him couldn't agree on some money stuff or whatever I, that's not in my world but um, but yeah no, he was attached for like three years to be a part of the show and yeah. and, uh, and and Fuse at that point like we took it around town every it was weird every place was like we love it but and they had a reason why it wasn't right for them whether like mm. MT, MTV or whatever place we were taking it were like right and Fuse was like this is perfect for us it's yeah. right in our sweet spot and uh and fuse agreed to do it and bought it and and make six episodes man it was, yeah. it was and i couldn't believe all the hip-hop artists we got to like right to right. the cameos and stuff like that and because like we were yeah. nothing like we we're like we were like not a thing at all and uh i remember i'll never forget like we sent it to uh i was like for the second episode we had jadakiss on mm. and we needed somebody that had like a we needed somebody that had like some i, I was like he was our biggest person we had and uh we needed somebody that had that sort of weight. And we had like a list of who we were sending it to and Jadakiss was first on my list. And so we sent it to Jadakiss and he, I never goes like, hey, oh, I, I can't do it, Jadakiss. <laughs> but I was like, I said, hey man, why did you do this? You know, I was like, why did you do this? He was like, he was like, man, I was laughing on the plane. He said, it felt so real. He said, I've been asked to do a bunch of this stuff. And he was like, this just felt, he's like on the plane, I was reading it again a second time. And he was like, I just, you know, I was like, I read a bunch. He's like, my agents will send me a bunch of stuff, and it's just mm-hmm. all crap. And he's like, this just felt like I just knew it. And he kept asking me if I was from New York. Right. He was like, you just captured how we talk. I was like, nah, I said, I listen to a lot of you on YouTube. <laughs> 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 and I just wrote specifically, uh, and like the whole character, Cutter, is all based on Jadakiss. Yeah. Like, it's actually based between Jadakiss and Nas. And so I was just listening to like the cadence. Like, that was a show where I was like, it's gotta be, it's very specific. Mm-hmm. Right. And people will call BS on it. 
immediately if right. it doesn't seem right. seem right. right. But every everybody we have from Travis Porter to like Freddie Gibbs, Red Cafe, yeah. the Breakfast Club in New York were like all gung ho, and I, I think that spoke to something. So right. you know. We need a season two. We yes. do. We definitely Fuse. need a season two. Yes. Fuse. 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 We need it. We need it. We need a season two. I mean, if not, you know, take it over to uh, Diddy's show. Diddy's we, channel. We, yeah. We yeah. 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 You know. I, I'm just, you know, don't let me, don't let me, you know. <laughs> I, just, I just heard the day that J-Lo might buy Fuse, so that was, that was oh, crazy. Wow. I just heard that. Yeah, because yeah, she's over at a, a Nouveau TV, yeah. so. Yeah. We'll yeah. see. We'll see. So you are now the co-executive producer yep. and writer on the award-winning show Brooklyn Nine Nine. Yeah, beautiful Golden Globe. Golden Globe. We're trying to get an Emmy now. We right. Mean, right. They should have never let us in. <laughs> <laughs> Screw your couch. So congratulations on that. <laughs> Thank it, you. What was it like for you guys to win this award specifically? It was crazy. Like when we, I remember that morning when we got announced. Like nobody in our show because we weren't because our our numbers were good. And our reviews were good, but they weren't like critically this, mm-hmm. and they and the and the ratings weren't like in. So there was never like a. It felt like it was like in a nice sweet spot of like the ratings were good and the reviews are good. Mm-hmm. It didn't feel like one polarizing thing that they were happy. It just felt like the uh, rate, like the reviews are great and the ratings are kind of low. It, it was kind of like in this middle. And I was getting all these texts from friends. I was making my kids like like breakfast in the morning, and I was getting all these texts like congratulations. I didn't know what people were talking about. I literally had no idea. And uh, they're like, you're, I'm like, you know, like you've been uh, nominated for a Golden Globe. So already right now we're playing with house money. Like mm-hmm. already we're just like, oh, like oh we're oh it's fine. Like whatever we get, this board is like, yeah, like it's yeah. all good. We never expected the, we never like we were like it like we're already in a good place because we're up against like Big Bang Theory, right. Modern Family, yeah. Girls, you know. And so we all thought Parks and uh, Recreation was going to win just because it was Parks and Rec first year right. being nominated and that was sort of like the critical show. And then I'll never forget I was at home getting ready to go to, to the CAA party because uh, we couldn't go to the real thing. And uh, <laughs> <laughs> so I was going front stunner, you know, you know, you know, be a stunner up front and pretend That's like I was right, there. Right. Yeah, you know, get my tux like I had went. Right. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Fake it till you make it. Exactly. And, uh, and uh, and I was at home, and and, and Andy Sandberg won. Mm. And when Andy won, I was like, "Oh, hold up, we right. might be able to get this thing." And then we got, we won. I was like, "I just, you just like, we won." Like, no, but were you crazy. mad that you weren't there though? At that point, nah, man. You're just like, this is cr- like, this is it's crazy because then, like, again, it's another. I always say, like, you go through levels of of what you're allowed to see in Hollywood. Uh-huh. So, like, when I was on Girlfriends, I saw what I was allowed to see. Uh-huh. And, again, when I was... I worked my soul. So then I was like, oh, I'm going to the CAA after party. Like, mm-hmm. I was like, I didn't care. Like, I was like, I'm getting one of these. I'm go-. Like, I was like, I'm winning. I'm, right. I've won. Exactly. And then you're like, you're at the CAA party, and you're like, you're like, oh, you're getting, like, shish kebab next to, like, Meryl Streep. You're like, <laughs> <laughs> and you're like, you're like, watch the, you're like, yeah, like, you're bumping with Sandra Book on the dance floor. Like, it's just like, you're just like, you're... Jane Fonda, you're like, yeah, you're just yeah. like you're like you're yeah. like there's Diddy. I, I talked to Diddy, like, hey man, sorry the show didn't work out. He was like, oh, that's cool. Like, you're like there's J Lo next to like you're just like this is a whole other like level of mm. like you're like there's Matthew McConaughey, there's David O'Rourke. You're just like this is like there's Leonardo DiCaprio. You're like, right. 
You know who you are, dude. <laughs> right. You're well, Leonardo DiCaprio. And because what's what, what's funny is that because I, mean, I heard the award shows really aren't that entertaining, but it's, it's the after show or it's the after parties that is really Man. where you're able to kind of let loose. Man, and, I know. watched Jane Fonda and Diddy get it in on the floor. It was <laughs> like this is. I, I I took a I took an Instagram picture where I had Diddy take a next a picture next to Jeffrey Rush, mm. and I was like. It's the guy that signed Shine and the guy that was in Shine. This is crazy. Like, this is crazy. You're like, this is crazy. I like how it was like in between. You I was. Like, I was like, my wife and I were right. like, don't say nothing. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm going to put a filter. It's kind of dark. on. Right, right. <laughs> so now... After after winning this award, mm-hmm. right, you know, many people say that, you know, it's hard for African-Americans to be behind the camera. And I mean, has it has it really been hard for you or, or like, do you feel that that way or is it? Uh, yeah, I mean, any I mean, look, it, anything that you're trying to do is hard, regardless of what color you are. What I've learned is that it's not that. Look, it, it, like anytime you get a show on the air, like, like you get a show picked up. It's hard to keep a show on the air, right? Mm. So you want to hire people you know and trust, right? Right. right? So if you're a white writer, you mostly hire other white writers. If you've not been in a room with people of color, then you're going to be like, I'm going to hire my friends. Like, it's it's not not like I'm not trying to hire you. It's just like I'm just trying to hire my friends. And most of my friends, if there's a a writing staff of 12 and 10 are white, you're going to be like, I'm going to hire my you know what I mean? So it's not like a purpose, but it's sort of a systematic, the way, like the opportunities to even be in that room. You know what I mean? Mm. So I've just learned that like, I've just, I just can say what I've done for me, mm. which is like just grind. And I give it, but I, again, I grew up where a time where, you know, where my mom and dad were like, you got to work harder than white kids. Like you, I, right. that was always, and I'm, I'm not the only black kid that that was taught. You know what I mean? So right. I, but I've always had that mindset where like, nobody will outwork me. Like I, mm. I understand that there's a level that I can't, I understand that there's a level of like, look, I'm not, I'm not, like, my kids don't go to this kind of school. They go to this kind of school. So at a certain level, in a social sense, I may not be in that socially sense. I don't live in this social area. So I may not be able to be around this social area. You know what I mean? Right. But I'm not going to be out of work to get there. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And so, um, but again, it, it's it's just hard. It, it's, it's hard, again, when the staff of... If you're hiring a staff of 12, right. well, your first thing is you're going to hire as many people as you can who you know. Right. Well, if you've hired six people out the gate, so now you're talking you're talking thousands of riders trying to compete for six spots. I mean, right. you know what I mean? So it's just, it's just, it's sort of built that way. It's just sort of built in a way that like, and I don't know, like, I've learned, like, I've learned that you kind of become like, oh, I'm going to hire this person. I don't have to worry about it. It's like, that's. Mm-hmm. Sort of the game is sort of like so. Hopefully, I can open the door like on the hustle for two or three. I mean, you know what I mean. Like right. that's hopefully the process down. I'm sure Sidney Portier felt like when he was, you know, right. you know, he was doing his movies. He felt like I'm the only person here. There's no right. even no black ads. Yeah, I mean, I'm sure even he was like, I'm the only person mm-hmm. who looks like me, probably behind the chef. You know, what I mean? right, so, right. you know. So it's like, but he opened doors, and hopefully, you know, I can reciprocate the same and. You know, we all, you know what I mean? It's, it's just, you know, I don't know if it'll ever be like everybody. It's all like a Benetton ad. I don't know if it'll ever be like that. You know what I mean? But uh, but hopefully it'll all sort of, you know, it'll just be more than just feeling like, oh, we have to hire one. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah. That's, that, and yeah. that's the main thing is like to hire people just based on ability as opposed to like, oh, okay, we got mm. our guy. We feel right. our core. Right, 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 right. 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 
in, in, whether it's subconscious or, or conscious. Right. So do you consider yourself more of a writer who is a producer-director? Or like a producer who is a writer and director? No, I'm definitely a writer who okay. like does other <laughs> does other stuff. Um, I, I don't even like having been a writer for so long in TV, like directing doesn't really it kind of interests me but not in the same way it did when I first started out like because okay. in TV the writer has like all the say like mm. you essentially are dictating sort of what the director will do and I mean the director's there to do what they're supposed to do but the writer's there to say hey get a take like this or get a take like this and the writer has the final say on editing like it's not like movies where the That's director crazy. is the is the thing and the writer's like 12 years of slave, like kicked off to the side and it's like oh thank you for writing it but you know we done with you now right. you know what I mean it's like in TV the writer has all the it's all Sean Durant or it's all Bill mm. Lawrence or it's all whomever and um, they're the final thing and so for me it's like well why would I want to give that power up to movies right. yeah, I, you know, right. I have more control and they also too like and you can evolve I enjoy TV because you can evolve a character you can evolve over time and mm. and, and keep storylines going whereas a movie is kind of like unless you get a sequel you're kind of one and done I mean there's yeah. fun in that too but to me, TV is great because you get to evolve and 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 dive deeper into stories and things mm. like that. So for me, I, I I just enjoy that way more than I ever enjoyed like just directing or anything like that. Okay. Okay. So, gotta ask you. Yeah. As we're winding down. Yes. What is your ultimate uh, professional goal, and uh, what can we expect next from your career? My ultimate goal is to be like the. I hate to say the African American version of this, but the closest thing I can say is like a John Wells or a Chuck Lorre, which is somebody yeah. who can create as many shows as possible, create shows with other people. Mm. Because inevitably, as a writer, you have a shelf life. Like, right, like once you hit 50, you're kind of like, you got to start being the, in the producing. Like, there's not a lot of writer room. I mean, now with the advent of like Nick at Night and like TV Land and like Hyde and Cleveland, like those kind of like so many shows, mm. they have older writing staffs because like some of the writing is dictated in, in that. And, right. but for the most part, like network shows, you're like in the sweet spot between like 26 and like 46. That's kind of like your window. Like, you know, 50 is like definitely like sort of a thing. In dramas, it goes longer, but in comedy, it's like young, hot. That's like the thing. Yeah. So I know you can't, I know I can't do that forever. And I'm also not interested in being in a writer's room when I'm 40 something years old. You know what I mean? Like, so my thing is like, I want to try to sell and create as many shows as as possible in the time frame I can. And uh, and also too, like start to be able to work. I'm you know start to be able to work with some other writers and, and be a producer. But that all starts with getting shows in the air, which I was mm-hmm. able to do with the hustle. Mm-hmm. Uh, but even the hustle is like again, like network world is perceived as like that's an urban show. That's, you know what yeah. I mean? But it 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 gets me meetings, which is good. Right. You know what right. I mean? So it do, it's done what it's supposed to do in a broader sense in a lot of mm-hmm. ways. Um, but I'm I'm going back to Brooklyn Nine Nine. Uh, this year, season two, season Yay. two, season two. Um, I just sold a drama to NBC. Uh, <laughs> What's it called? Uh, we don't have a title yet, uh, but it's a it's a cop, it's an action cop dramedy. So there's a com- comedy and drama in the show, okay. as opposed okay. to like just being a straight up one thing or another. Mm. The closest thing I can say it in tone is like a lethal weapon in tone. That's oh, like a lethal, uh, so it's like a fun mm. ride. Um, I have that, and I'm taking out uh, two comedies this year, network wise. So, uh, so I, okay. Well, let me let me go ahead and write your number. I'm gonna Dan. send you. A <laughs> right here we go. Uh, here you go. <laughs> well, you have to. You got to put like three or four irons in the fire because right. it's like it's like you like you like a batting average like you know like one of four, and you're right. like ah, you know it's like you know you like if you do one thing, you're done. 
Right. You know what I mean? So you like you got to have four or five things going. Yeah. Exactly. Because I'm, I'm banking on literally like none of that stuff going. <laughs> you know right, what I mean? Right. Like I, I sold my NBC show, which is good because I at least count on that check. Right. Again, not post dated. <laughs> It'll come through, and uh, and I have like again like two more shows that we're trying to take out comedy wise. And we'll, well, we'll and I mean, I'm sure that that the Golden Globe kind of opens up a couple more. It does. It does. It, it makes a, it makes a show more like okay, that's a real that's a real right. credit. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, but it's like anything. Like you got to still prove. It's yeah. like it's not. Yeah. It's it, it's it's good, but it's not like. Uh, you know, it's not like you don't want to rest your, on it. I, yeah, you you absolutely cannot. Yeah. You cannot. It's for like my mom to take like a picture with. Like, like that's it's <laughs> nice. It's good to have. It's good to have in the resume. Like, oh, you yeah. worked on that show. You worked. It's good. Yeah. It's always good to have a good resume. People be like, oh, he worked on that. He worked on that. He worked mm. on that. It makes it easier for people to like you know, like believe in you. Mm. But inevitably, it's like like this is my creator's Golden Globe. Right. He won it. It's his. I'm a writing staff, so I got one, mm. but it's still his. Right. You know what I mean? And so my mom takes a nice picture with it. And it's up there with my kids' T-ball trophy, so it's nice. <laughs> but inevitably, it's not mine. So I I remember it's not mine, mm. and uh, and uh, you know. But I mean, at least at least now too, you can see it every day. Yes, and it's like okay, like this is you know something right. that I need so for yes. my show that I created. Absolutely, you know, and like you can touch it. Cause that's yes. the thing with me. I'm like, once I see it, and once I can touch it, it's, it's, it's over. You yeah, know, like once, yeah. once you be like, it's attainable. Yes, come it's on. Yours. Yeah, you're like, you know? and it's, it's really because I didn't get an image award this year, so mm-hmm. I'm like, uh, image awards. Uh, they got it right. Uh, why are we? <laughs> Right. I'm gonna get an image award. You know, I could probably get a golden glow. You get an image award. I mean, you make it a BET or something. Oh, no. yeah, you're like, you're right, right, right. back the uh, source. There, you know, we go, there, there we go. There we go. There we go. There we go. Get a much music award for you. Yeah, you're I mean, we can't even get a much music award for the hustle. It's hard to do. Right. That's funny. But listen, man, thank you for of course, man. Thank you for having me. Thank you. So where where can people find you online? Uh, they can find me online um, at Twitter and uh, Instagram at the underscore a underscore Prentice P R E N T I C E both Instagram and Twitter. Yes, and as always, you can find me Megan Thomas on that Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at Meg Scoop like scoop of ice cream. You can find me all over the internet at the Nick Purdue. <laughs> Thank you guys for tuning in. We'll see you next time. From producers Maria Menounos, Dario Christian, Tiana Hobson, Kevin Undergaro, and the entire BHL crew, we would like to thank you for supporting Black Hollywood Live, the first online broadcast network dedicated to African-American entertainment. For questions and comments, contact us at info at blackhollywoodlive.com. Like us on Facebook, tweet us, or Instagram us at BHL Online. And I'm your BHL announcer, Scipio. Instagram me at Planet Scipio. Thank you for tuning in. Hollywood Redefined. The views expressed here are those of the host owner and do not necessarily reflect the views of BHL or its owners or principals.